Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. When I was 16, actually just before I was 16, I got a job at a fast food restaurant. And it's the one with the big golden arches. And uh, it's also the one with a really silly looking clown, a really tall, goofy, scary clown thing. Y'all got that in your head now, right? You won't be able to hear anything else that I say because of that. But it reminded me when I looked at this road close sign because whenever I worked at that fast food restaurant, I thought it would be really, really funny one day after the store closed to, uh, to take the Ronald McDonald um, statue that they had in the drive-thru. It looked like that. And it looked, it looked even goofier than I did just now, which is really saying something. And we, it was a friend of mine and myself, we decided, wow, we would just be so funny that we would take this Ronald McDonald and we would put it right in the drive-thru. But we would put it in the drive-thru. Now, we did this after the store closed, so it's dark. No one knew. But we thought we'd be really funny, and we put it actually in the drive-thru on the other side of the shrubbery so that, that no one in the store could actually tell that it was there. So when the store was opening up and they would open up the drive-thru, all of a sudden nobody was going through drive-thru. And they couldn't go through the drive-thru because it was this big goofy-looking Ronald McDonald <laughs> right in the drive-thru blocking their way, but no one knew to move it. So then all of a sudden they, they had gone out and they moved the Ronald McDonald. And then I got away with that one. Um, I totally got away with that one, but the next one I did not. I, you know, I mean, if you do what one time, you think, wow, if you could just, if I could just keep doing this because I thought it would just be perpetually more funny. So what we decided like a week later, cause you know, you gotta be on the slides about a week later, we took Ronald McDonald again. And this time we didn't put him in the drive-thru because we had already done that. We actually put him in the garbage. Now, yeah. So uh, it was kind of bad news for me uh, once they found out. But we took Ronald McDonald. It was made out of fiberglass. No big deal. Two-man lift. We put it right in the trash. So then out of the trash, there was like this right there in the dumpster, like behind uh, behind the store. And then they came looking for Ronald McDonald, and no one knew where Ronald McDonald was. And I, it would have been amazing to see that like in you know, like in the local newspaper, missing Ronald McDonald from McDonald's in Taylorville, Illinois. But word kind of got around that it was me and one other person had done that. And this was like, this was my job. I had worked there for, I don't know how much, how many years I'd worked there at this time, but it was my job. It was my way of paying for the car and for me to have cash and all of that. But as I got brought to the manager and the manager was talking to me, hey, why did you do this? We, we don't, we, we can't confirm that you did the other thing, but we are pretty sure you did the other thing because you did this thing and because you're not quite as funny as you think you are. And uh, I remember going in front of the manager, and I was just thinking to myself, man, I hope I really don't get fired. Like, I hope I don't get fired. And then once I'd gone in there and it kind of gave me the right act, but I didn't get fired, I walked away and I said this, how could I be so stupid? How can I be so stupid? And it's in that moment that I was thinking to myself that I had failed my own standard. I wasn't even a Christian. I was like, I, I just had this, this personal standard that I was trying to live up to, and I just felt so stupid. And if we're honest, most or all of us have, have said the same thing to ourselves. We've done something on Friday night, and we woke up on Saturday morning, we looked in the mirror, and we saw stupid in the mirror looking back at us, right? 
Well, we know this. If you've gone to your boss, you were so fired up about something, you went before your boss, and you just you were like, oh, you just went in with all this ammunition, everything you were going to say, you went and just unloaded on your boss, and then as you walked away, you're like, that was so, finish it, stupid. Like, how could I do that? Even as parents, even when we try and do the best thing for our kids, and parents, you know this to be true, after you have a conversation with your kids and you know you failed, you walk around or walk away and you say, how could I have been so stupid? And what we learn is, and this is what we're going to see in the text, that a life of obedience is better than a life of regret. Because every time that we say to ourselves, Oh, how could I have been so stupid? I said the stupid thing. I did the stupid thing or or whatever the case may be. Every time we're reminded of a level of regret. Of course, putting Ronald McDonald in the drive-thru, not a big deal. Like, I mean, really, they could make another one. I could have gotten fired. They had plenty of money, trust me. But it was the wrong thing, and it was stupid. But the influence that you have... In your family, dads, moms, the influence that you have, when you do something you regret, it carries a lot of weight, doesn't it? When you, if if you are a boss or you are the employer, you know that when you do something that you consider that you failed your own standard, you've done something stupid, you know that when in the moment, when that happens, that it carries a lot of weight. And you're reminded And I'm hoping that at the end of this, that you have a deeper understanding that a life of obedience is always, always, always better than a life of regret. Now, James chapter 3, verse 13 is where we're going to kind of camp out. If uh, you have not been here for uh, this whole series Um, We've actually been here for weeks and weeks and weeks. We'll be here right up until the Christmas series. And this series that we've called Authentic, and we've just kind of said by subtitle, this is to be authentic is where faith and real life meet. And if, if we understand this to a greater degree, as James would put it out, I believe not only, and I've heard this said many times, and maybe you have too, not only will your life get better, also you'll get better at life. And the things that are, that are in this, this letter that James wrote is, is not all that difficult. It's just something we have to do. So when we get into James 3.13, there's going to be a word. And in my Bible, it's the third word in the first verse. And you're already going to be overwhelmed. But I'm not going to tell you what it is yet until we get there. James 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil." For wherever you have envy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder in every evil practice. But, verse 17, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, insincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, raise a harvest of righteousness. 
So what James is entering into in this text is this. There are two different ways that we can live our life. And he kind of asks this question right out of the gate. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Automatically, when you see that word wise, like some pictures come up, maybe like if you're a Lord of the Rings person like like I am, you automatically think Gandalf. Right? You're automatically like, you shall not pass, like that guy from Lord of the Rings. That's who you're thinking of. And you're like, I am not that guy. So you're thinking, I can't be wise. Or you have this, this mental image of, of some, some person who's at least 65, maybe in like a twill sweater vest with like the little arm patch things, just, just in case it wears through, sitting in a leather chair in their library, smoking a pipe, reading a book. And you're thinking, no, that's the picture of being wise. One of the greatest promises of the scripture is this. Anyone can be wise. It's not a matter of your age. Because if we're really, really honest, all age does is just... And, and all that the experience gives you is age and gray hair and wrinkles. But one of the promises of the Scriptures is it doesn't matter of your age. And it doesn't matter of your personal experience. You can have wisdom. The words that are used here, I'm going to kind of put these together in kind of a, a not necessarily a working definition of the word wisdom, but sort of. In verse 13, it says, who is wise and understanding among you? And he asks this question, and James does this a lot. He, sometimes he introduces a new idea by a question, just to make you think, make you wrestle, and make you pay a little bit closer attention. The word wise comes from the Greek word sophos, which means learned. It means learned. Now, understanding comes from a Greek word that means experienced. Now, putting those two words together, wise and understanding, let's put them together and say it's learned experience. So learned experience. All of a sudden, you're kind of put just removing the idea that I can't have wisdom, and now you have an understanding. Say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I can have learned experience. As a matter of fact, I can learn from other people's experiences. This is a principle I've been teaching my kids for years and years and years. Because I want them to learn not just from their own mistakes and their own their, the things that they do well. I want them to look at other people to be able to know and to be able to learn from other people's experience. That's one of the great promises of the scriptures is to have wisdom. Not just to know how to think, but to know how to do. And specifically, that's what James is talking about here. He's talking about wisdom is not just something you think, it's not just something that you read, but wisdom is something that you do. And it comes from learned experience. But then he says, the next verse, in verse 13, continuing through, he says, let him show it by his good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. So he presses in a little bit deeper. He says, this is not just something that you think. This is not just an intellectual thing. Like, I'm just going to get more wise the more, the more books I devour. Or, you know, I, I have my Kindle and I've got all these, these books you know, on my Kindle. Or I've got all these books on my shelf. I just need to devour those. James is saying, that's not even the point. He's saying that wisdom is determined. He says, let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And we're posed with this in, in, in the NIV. It says this right at the beginning of this text. There are two different kinds of wisdom. There's man's wisdom, and then there's God's wisdom. There's man's wisdom, and then there, there's God's wisdom. All of us live under the pretense 
of man's wisdom. And the way that James maps out man's wisdom is not something that we want, but it's, it's a trap we consistently fall in. But then the promise in the second half of this passage is God's wisdom. Let's jump into it a little bit deeper and see what it says. Verse 4. He's talking about man's wisdom. He says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. You see what he says? He says, Hey, if you have selfish ambition or if you have bitter envy, don't boast about it, but also don't deny that it exists. He says, just don't go bragging about everybody, about everything that you have and everything that you've done, the degree that you have and the boss that you, the, 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 the level that you've become in your job. He says, don't brag about it. But also, he says, if envy is kind of driving that, he says, don't brag about that, but also don't deny that it exists. He says, such, quote unquote, wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly unspiritual, and of the devil. The earthly, manly, the, the man's wisdom that is earthly is against God in every way. Selfish ambition and bitter envy are about you. They're never about God. If you pursue in your life things just to make you happy, or to even make your kids happy, or to prop yourself up, and if you spend your life for you, that's man's wisdom. And as James defines it here, he says that it is earthly. That is earthly. It's not of the Lord. It's earthly. It's flesh. It's self-satisfying. What you see on the stage here is this. I see these two stools. This one's short because I'm short, to be honest with you. That's why it's here. This represents your life. And man's wisdom says this. Man's wisdom says, you know what? If this is my life, I can do whatever I want with it because it is mine. But in that, he says, you can, and that would be the selfish ambition piece. But he says, the amazing thing is this. He says, you can live your life in such a way that you spend it and just prop yourself up and you, you live your life for you. But he says, what it will lead you to do is it will, it will lead you to bitter envy. That way you look at somebody else's life and somebody else is just a little bit taller. Somebody else is a little bit, a little bit smarter. Somebody else has a, a little better degree than you. Somebody has better minded kids than you. Somebody has a better job than you. Somebody has, they're more cool than you. Whatever the case may be, he says, if you live your life for you, you cannot help but fall into the trap of man's wisdom. When you prop yourself up, you will automatically look at somebody else and compare your life to theirs. But in that moment, you lose your life. You lose your life. Because you can't enjoy what God is doing in you and for you if you're so consumed with having somebody else's Life. And there's always somebody smarter. There's always somebody with, with more money. There's always somebody who has more time. There's always somebody who has the next level of, of the ladder of your job. There's always that person. And James says, man's wisdom says, you know what? Just try and prop yourself, hold yourself up, do for yourself what you can. But he says, in that, that's, that's man's wisdom. That it's, it's about the flesh. But he says you can't enjoy your life because you're too busy trying to chase somebody else's. 
because there's always somebody else a little taller. There's always somebody else a little stronger. There's always somebody else who has a little bit more freedom. There's always somebody else who has better kids. At least you think they do. There's always somebody else who has a better marriage. James says we can, we can chase one of two paths. He uses the word earthly. Then he uses the word unspiritual. And that's kind of the word sensual. And this is, this is kind of lived out when, when it's, it's a matter of chasing my happiness or pleasing myself or spending the money on me. I'm not, I'm not going to give any money to God. I'm not going to help anyone else along. I'm going to spend everything I get all on me. So I'm, I'm just going to prop myself up. I'm not going to help support anyone else. I'm not going to help support the mission of God. I'm not even going to speak truth in anybody, else, anybody else's life because man's wisdom says it's a trap where all you see is you. And the unspiritual side of it, the sensual side of it, is we can't help but try and meet our own satisfaction for our soul. But what does James say at the rest of that passage? He says... It's of the, what? Devil. It opposes God's activity. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight, is what it says in 1 Corinthians 3.19. The wisdom of this world that James is referring to by saying earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil is foolishness in God's sight. So when we live our life to prop ourselves up, to make ourselves feel better, to meet just our own needs, not to look out for anybody else's needs, he says that is foolishness in God's sight. Foolishness. So where does this wisdom come from? The, the unspiritual, essential wisdom. Jude, or uh, not, yeah, it is Jude, sorry. Jude 17. If you have your Bible, um, you have probably never even looked in, in the book of Jude, the writing of Jude, but you go to the right just a couple pages. It's right before Revelation. It's probably one page. But Jude, in, in this writing, Jude 17 starts talking about this unspiritual or sensual wisdom. Or pursuit of man's wisdom. This is what it says. There's a very, there's a very grave warning that we have to listen to. That we just can't shut it off. We have to press into this and allow it to press in to us. And this is what it says. But... Dear friends, remember that the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold, they said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural, natural instincts. And do not have the Spirit. That means they are not saved. They're pretending to be saved, but they're not of the redeemed. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love and 
And as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them to show others mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. See, here's the thing. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can't help but try and meet the satisfaction for your soul. It's just been put in you. You can't help but do that. Now, can you use the teachings of James if you're not a Christian? Absolutely. But be careful if you're not a Christian because you might actually be working against God and not with God. And if you're here, and even if you don't consider yourself a born-again Christian, you're not one of these Christian people, you know intrinsically inside of you, you don't want to do something that operates against God. So... In Jude, he presses in, and he says, In the last times there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. This is the unspiritual. This is the the sensual. And he says, they just follow their mere natural instincts. And part of our mere natural instincts is selfish ambition and bitter envy. It is embedded in us. That is, that is the wisdom of the world. This is the thing that Paul wrote. He says, in God's sight, that type of wisdom is actually foolishness. Proverbs 14.12, this will be on the screen. He says, there is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. There's a way that just seems right to a man. It just seems right to a man to just kind of prop themselves up and kind of take care of themselves, maybe take care of their immediate family, and just to kind of do that and live your life, live as many years as you have here on earth, but live them for you, spend your money for you, everything's about you, your marriage is about you. Anytime you go through a difficulty in marriage, it's just about you, and as long as you're having a good time in marriage, as long as the happiness is being met in your marriage, you, you're good, but as soon as those things aren't met, then you start trying to find your, the meaning and and help in different areas. And he said that is foolishness in God's sight. That's propping yourself up. That's selfish ambition. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have denied your right to just live for you. Because we are supposed to die to ourselves daily and live for Christ. As a matter of fact, that is, that is a high mark for a Christian. Not to just live for ourselves. But the higher calling is to now not just live our, our lives and just kind of prop ourselves up, but to spend our lives out on behalf of other people. Verse 17, it jumps into the wisdom. The wisdom is, is learned experience. But the wisdom that comes from heaven... If it's first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. See, he poses two different things. He says, you can have man's wisdom, but it tells us just preceding this that man's wisdom and bitter envy and selfish ambition, it will ultimately lead to nothing but disorder 
and every evil practice. But he says, you, we have this, this thing we wrestle with, and if you're a Christian, the promise is for you to have wisdom, to have God's wisdom. And he says, and the proof of that wisdom is this, a purity. A purity. As a matter of fact, what Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 5, 3. He said, blessed are the pure in spirit. Blessed are the humble. That's what that means. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who live for Jesus. They exalt Jesus. Everything about their life is to lift up the name of Jesus and to draw out other people as the first, the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord Jesus with every part of us. And the second one is like it, to love others as we love ourselves. But some of the ways we do this to the purity of heart is this, by being peace-loving. By being peace-loving. Not living in fear. Not, not creating fear. Not creating disorder that, that we would see in every evil practice. But he says this is a way of wisdom. You see, you would think of this list, this kind of sounds like just similarly too, that like the fruit of the Spirit. You're like, okay, yeah, but, but how is this wisdom? Because I've often thought the wisdom was just something that, that you thought about instead of something you did. And he's, James says, no, 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 no. What, what you're missing is this, that when you are truly wise in God's eyes and you have life, you live with this learned experience, you understand the value of not just a relationship with Jesus, but also you understand the relationship that you're to have with other people and the influence you're to have with other people. And he says the greatest influence that you can have, Christian, is by doing this, by being peace-loving. By being peace-loving. That means maybe you're the calming voice at work when everybody else is chattering about everything else that the boss is doing. Do you try and you love peace? So even when, when you're in that meeting and it's, it's oh, they're raging and they're, everybody's getting a red face and people are sweating and people are saying things that they really probably don't mean and they're evil things, that you should not join them because you're peace-loving. Because you have this learned experience, because you have a walk with Jesus Christ, and that has informed you in such a way that I cannot honor God if I'm speaking ill of other people. But I love peace. Then he continues to be considerate. To be considerate. Understanding, maybe there's one way of looking at this situation. Maybe I'm not right all the time. Maybe I'm not the authority on all things. But I'm considerate. Maybe I can learn something from my kids. And sure, I may have the authority in the home that God has placed there, but maybe I can actually learn something from my kids so I don't have to lord over them. I can actually learn how to better parent them if I'm considerate of their needs. Maybe I can be a better husband or wife if I'm considerate about their needs. Submissive. This one's... Rather difficult, but this is putting other people before yourself. When you submit to someone, you're basically saying, you first. No, 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 you first. Nope, it's not about me, you first. It's putting other people first. So you, you submit to them, you say, you know what, ah, you first. What would, what would your workplace be like if you were that kind of person? 
Instead of trying to find your own selfish ambition, instead of looking out and envying everybody else and propping yourself up and just, oh, looking at somebody else's life and every, everything that they have and the kids that they have and how much money they're making and the job that they have that you want. What would your life be like if you were that person? You probably would have a lot less regrets. And you would have a, you would have a lot more hope and you would have a lot greater influence in your workplace. Submissive. Full of mercy and good fruit. What I love about this is a lot of times Christians just think, well, mercy is just a, a fruit of the Spirit. Like, sorry, I don't have that one. I've got, I've got the gift of sarcasm and I use it all the time. I don't have the gift of... Of mercy, but what does James say? This this isn't like a prerequisite of the fruit of the spirit. He says, no, 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 no. We should be full of mercy and good fruit. We should be full of mercy when things are going on in the world. We should be merciful instead of saying, well, you know what? You probably brought that on yourself. We should be merciful when we see another brother or sister going through a difficult time. Even if we know that they put themselves in that situation, mercy says, you know what, I'm going to love you through it instead of judging you for what you've done. Because I love you. I'm going to be merciful for you. I know that you've made a mistake. I know that you've lived much of your life through selfish ambition and you propped yourself up for so many years, but I'm going to love you through it. I'm going to give you mercy even though you don't deserve mercy. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? When Jesus bore our sin, sins, plural, all of them, on the cross, he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. We were broken. He extended mercy to us when all we deserved was judgment. So when we're doing these things, we're walking in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Full of mercy and good Fruit. Good fruit. Impartial. What I love about James' writing is he kind of cycles back with a lot of things. This idea of being impartial, is, it's kind of the same idea as favoritism that we kind of talked about a couple weeks ago. So there's, there's like these ideas that just keep coming around. And James, he's like, no, 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 you're not getting off the sly on this one. You're, like, you're, you're going to be accountable to it. So he kind of draws back to these ideas of being impartial and then sincere. And I have to be really, really honest about this one. This is something that Christians absolutely fail at on a regular basis. Because when we come in the door, we put on the mask. There, there is so much hypocrisy in us that we don't even, we don't even see ourselves. But to be sincere with other people is to acknowledge our own brokenness. So when we come in these doors... And everybody's like, you know, you just got into an argument in the car on the way in because I, I know how that goes, right? And you were just like reaching back, Dad. You were trying to do this, trying to sweep the back seat of your kids. And you were just like flat going crazy. But then as soon as you, you came into the driveway at 427 Airport Road, you started singing hallelujah, lifting your hands in praise, listening to the Christian radio station, right? And then when you come in, you're like, oh, we're, you can't, my, my kids are angels. My kids are perfect. And then you turn, you're like, oh, just, uh Where's the sincerity in that? If you're broken about something, the best thing you can do with someone else is to invite them into your brokenness. Because what it does, it strengthens the body. And we are, 
If you're a Christian, we are the body of Christ, the local expression of the body of Christ. And we need each other. So if there's a level of brokenness in you, it's okay to acknowledge it. And I realize, I, I, I totally realize that when you come in here, it's, sometimes it can, be, it can be awkward, socially awkward, of like, oh, my brokenness, and how do I do it? When do I do it? But you know what? This is why we have community groups. Because you kind of get into a smaller, a smaller group and to discuss real-life issues. Real-life issues. To talk about the successes in your life and to talk about the brokenness in your life but to acknowledge that you're human and in a state of godly repair. And that repair is called sanctification. But we have to be honest. We have to be sincere people. I believe when when the world, those who are not Christians, when they look at people who call themselves followers of Christ, if we pretend that everything's okay, it actually doesn't make... They know that we're not okay and they know that we're lying. So when we acknowledge the brokenness in us, then also we have an opportunity to acknowledge what God is doing to help mend that brokenness. But if we just pretend that everything's okay, they sense that, that putting on a mask, that hypocrisy, the fakeness, to be peacemakers who sow. That's what it says, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. I'm going to fly through a couple things, just kind of put a couple more handles on this idea of wisdom. A wise person is someone who fears the Lord. This is what it says in the Proverbs. Proverbs 1.7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So a fear of the Lord. This is not just a fear of the Lord like I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. This means awe and wonder. That there is a God and you are not Him and that should compel you to do something. The fear of the Lord. Man's wisdom says it's all consumed with what I think and, and how I feel and it's all about pursuing things for yourself and pursuing your pleasure and your will. The true wisdom, godly wisdom, starts with a fear of the Lord. Acknowledging the fact that there is a holy God who has invited us in to his activity here on earth. There is a holy God who's given you and I an invitation to say, Hey, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing on earth. That means that you don't just have to receive Jesus, come into these things, raise your hands, sing a song, listen to a message, and just leave and just wait and come back and check back in next Sunday. He says, you can be on mission for Jesus Christ Monday through Sunday. All of us. We all have this responsibility. It means we can have a proper sense of values. And this is what you see here, specifically in verse 17. To be peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit. There's so many other things that could be defined there. It means to make right choices. To have a learn, to have wisdom in this learned experience is to be able to make right choices. For the Lord gives wisdom. This is what it says in Proverbs 2, 6 and 9. For the Lord gives wisdom and from out of, of his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way 
of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Every good path. One of the promises, I think potentially the greatest promise of wisdom is to know what in life really matters. And what in life really matters is loving God and loving others. And not pursuing selfish ambition, not lifting yourself up because those things are a dead-end road. 1 Peter 2.12 says this. This is talking about the level of influence that Christians are supposed to have. We're supposed to have a matter of wisdom. This wisdom is, isn't an intellectual thing. It's a thing that we practice. And this is what it says in 1 Peter 2.12. It says, Live such good lives even, or excuse me, among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. So in other words, what he's saying is, Live such good lives that the ungodly people, the people who are far from God, they look at you and accuse you of doing something, but they can't find it in your own life. He says, they're going to accuse you of doing things, but make sure that what they accuse you of is not true. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That means that we're supposed to have a level of influence. That means we're supposed to spend our life out for other people instead of just trying to prop our own selves up. So it's a fairly straightforward message, and it's something you just wrestle with. Are you living under man's wisdom, and that's wisdom we all have, which that type of wisdom, man's wisdom, is just a natural wisdom, or are you living under the supernatural wisdom of God? Let me ask you just a couple questions, kind of take this a little deeper. What would your life look like if you made more wise choices? What would your life look like? What would your marriage look like? What influence would God give you in the course of your marriage if you lived a life of wisdom? What influence would God give you in your workplace if you decided that you weren't going to just try and prop yourself up, but you're going to lift others up in the workplace? What influence would God give you? The answer for all of those, all, all of us were like, wow, I really, 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 I, that's what I want. That's what I desire. Then I just want to lead you to this. Very simple, very straightforward. The best thing you can do in this situation, if you want, if you want to live under your own wisdom, you want to prop yourself up, just keep going on the way that you're going. But if you want to live under God's wisdom, accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That way, you, not, you have the power of the, of the Holy Spirit to help you to make wise decisions, to give you greater influence. As you surrender your life to Jesus to, to greater degrees and you kind of commit everything to Him, He increases the influence that you have with other people. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here. So, so to do that, in a greater degree, I'll show you with a very simple illustration. 
You can live your life. And you can prop yourself up. Or you can live your life and say, I'm not going to try and meet my own gain. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to help support and love others. Then my life supports somebody else's life. Then I'm making an investment into them instead of just trying to reap all of the benefit myself. If you want a greater influence in your home, learn wisdom is to spend your life in investing in others. If you want the influence with your kids, turn off the TV, put up the remote, get out of the recliner, and get to know your kids. Because what they feel is that you are taking your life and you're holding them up and sustaining them. And you're spending your life on their behalf instead of chasing selfish ambition, which leads to bitter envy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just come before you. And Lord, this puts weight on us. And it's necessary weight. The only way that we change is that we feel some degree of that weight and us having to make a decision. Lord, allow us to a greater degree understand and live out this life, just the obedient life, because we know that a life of obedience is easier than a life of regret. Father God, I pray that you would just take us by the hand. Allow us to have a greater uh, degree of influence when we decide that we want to spend our life to hold others up, to be submissive, to be sincere, to be peace-loving. Father, I pray that through your great grace that you would give us the measure of strength that we need to do what it is that we're called to do. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.